Blog Talk Radio. Nation. I'm Anthony Salome, live with another episode of the Rush Podcast, here with the one and only Alex Nicholas, who just right in the barely, time. just barely stepped into the studio as this is going live. That intro, man, I like the little song, but, you know, we got to fix the little miscues there, but hey, we got to get that drop from Floyd that we've been talking about for weeks. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to work some minor rush magic and we'll make that happen. We'll see what's We got good. a big show planned for y'all, of course. Um, I know many of y'all are looking to hear, uh, get some updates on the Dominic Artist situation. Uh, we've got a little bit of news on that, not a whole lot, but we will definitely tell you everything we know. We'll be, we'll be talking some Utah football. Of course, the Miners fell on the road this past weekend at Southern Miss. We'll be talking Utah basketball, Utah football, Conference USA sports, power rankings, and everything else in between. Also, um, we have a special guest coming on from Sports Town El Paso, Javier Cortez, uh, good, ba- good, good basketball mind. Had a chance to pick his brain uh, at the scrimmage a couple weeks ago. So been trying to get him on. So he's got two scrimmage outings to talk to us about and a lot sure. more on his angle. So another get another voice in here to give you all some. Tips. We'll be covering it all. And as always, you all can tune in 347-934-0951. Let us know what you want to talk about. Get us your comments, cool. concerns, whatever you want. You can say whatever um, you want, too. No, yeah, you can curse. You, you call me an idiot. No call me fat, whatever. <laughs> And as always, the Minor Rush comment thread is up. If y'all have any questions, hit us up there. Let us know. We'll try to answer them as best we can. Got a couple good ones already. Um, Same thing thing with the uh, Twitter, man. At SBN Minor Rush on Twitter or twitter.com slash SBN Minor Rush. Hit us up wherever you want. Let us know what you want to talk about. We'll get to it. But I wanted to start off because I think this is the I think this is the biggest conversation right right now in UTEP sports. This is blowing up everything. Our mentions, our comments. Um, What is going on with Dominic Artis? So the truth of the matter is that only a select few know, and uh, even though I wish I could say that I was part of that select few, I'm not. Um, they're chilling in the foster state. They're, they're really holding it tight lip, man. This is this is very tight lip right now. They're holding it close to the chest. Not, they're not letting anybody know what's going on, which kind of scares me to start off, um, because you would think that if this was just something that was just kind of minor, if it was just a clerical error or something along those lines, just you know, paperwork issues that you would you would think you'd come out and say that. You'd think they, they'd be kind of, you know, calming everybody's fears and telling them, you know what, it's just some paperwork issues that we weren't filed correctly, so on, whatever it might be, and we're going to have it straightened out. And, and they, you know, you've heard something, oh, yeah, it'll be straightened out kind of thing, but you don't really hear anything. And, and, and from everything that we've heard, all the digging we try to do with our sources, with the people that we know that are connected to the program, uh, they really don't know a lot or are not willing to say a lot. And that just kind of tells me that this issue may be bigger than they're letting on. You know, we would hope that it's not, but that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the, the, the vibe that I'm getting. I don't know what you think, man. No, I agree. I, I think there's, you know, on the start, I mean, you gotta, you don't want people to cancel their season tickets. You know what no, I mean? Definitely. So of course you're going to be a little, uh, you know, and that's kind of far-fetched obviously, you know, but that's just, you know, kind of an example of, of, of how deep this situation may be a lot of different opinions on it. Um, you know, from people with no disrespect people that, you know, just 
regular fans, you know, to I don't see him coming on the court to he'll be up by December. It's an academic issue. There's so many rumors and things swirling around where you're right. I mean, it just makes it kind of scary where, you know, last Friday was, oh, yeah, well, we should get this cleared up tomorrow, yeah. you know, type of deal. It's not really a big deal. And then come Saturday and Dominic is, is uh, you know, not suited up. But, I mean, I guess for a positive light, you know, he has been practicing. Yeah. He was with the team. And like I told you earlier, all week I've probably checked about four times today and five times yesterday. He's still enrolled at UTEP in the, in the student search. So, yeah. you know, those type of precautionary, you know, sources or ways for us to find information is kind of looking good. So, but at the at the end of the day, you just don't know, and that doesn't look good. Yeah, and I guess to kind of sum it up for y'all, for y'all listening right now, um, this is what we do know. Like like Alex just mentioned, uh, Dominic Artis is still enrolled at UTEP, so that kind of calms a little bit of fear there. Um, and he's still practicing with the team, so again, that's a good sign as well. Um, the other thing that we do know is that paperwork was submitted to the NCAA. Now, I believe that was last week. It could have been the week before. In the in the, in, in the last couple of weeks, paperwork was submitted to the NCAA for some kind of eligibility claim. Now, I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure what the eligibility issue is, but there is some kind of issue with his eligibility. Paperwork was submitted by UTEP to the NCAA in order to get this straightened out, and they're waiting to hear back from the NCAA. From what we hear, that should happen hopefully tomorrow, as soon as tomorrow. Um, they're expecting sometime midpoint this week. So that, like I said, hopefully tomorrow. And then I would assume that if they do, Floyd would be uh, talking to the media or, or, you know, whoever it might be, they might release a, a press release uh, to let us know exactly what's going on, what the situation is. The other thing that I can say is that um, uh, if it comes back from the NCAA and this eligibility, eligibility request is denied, um, then there will be an appeals process to get him in, reinstated. Now, who knows how long that could last? Could be weeks, could be months, could be days. We really don't know. But at this point, that's that's all the information that we've been able to gather. There is some sort of eligibility issue. Uh, the, the UTEP has filed paperwork with the NCAA to get Dominic Artis reinstated. As of right now, that is that has not happened. And they were hoping by as early as tomorrow, he will be reinstated. And if not, if they do receive word that the, that the claim was denied, then they will be uh, putting in an appeal. So that's pretty much the extent of what we know as far as Dominic Artis is concerned. Yeah, and so, I mean, it's and it's everything like the NCAA. You just don't know. You know, you just don't know. And, you know, there's rumblings and grumblings that there's a, a similar situation going on at another school um, that you're looking at it on the surface, it, it could possibly be tied to the whole artist situation back at Oregon, but there is no evidence of that. So it is that it's basically game and, and you know obviously if it to me how, how you were mentioning how you how the paperwork may have been submitted last week I know a couple people commented well if it was submitted Thursday Friday we're not going to hear nothing until the middle of the week so it makes sense I think the timetable is just and if it is something minor then most of the time we will hear something whether you need an appeal whether you know it, everything's a, a green light and really I mean I don't the decision may be made till Friday I don't think Floyd's next media availability and touching on that, you know, Floyd's going through some family situation too. So, you know, condolences out to the Floyd family. His sister, um, you know, he lost a sister an hour or two before the game. Um, so I know that's really been heavy on his mind. And we don't know when he's going to come back. Um, you know, that's probably going to be, you know, the next 
th- that just throws a whole wrench in the whole situation right now. So definitely some stressful situation going on yeah. in the Foster season. I mean, he's got center, a lot so more got, to yeah. worry about than just basketball. So is it? So I, like I said, I, I as much as I want to hear something and we kind of need to hear something on a Wednesday, it may not come till Friday. But at least a word or something, you know, maybe one of the players will send out a tweet or something, some type of clue to give us, but I don't think we'll hear from the head man until Friday. And like I said, condolence out to Floyd. That's a tough situation. Uh, we got a good explanation from Coach Johnson that, you know, it was uh, his sister had been sick and it was expected to happen, but not an hour before the first exhibition game. So, you know, I've gone through death and personally in my family when it comes to that. So, you know, shout out to Floyd. You know, hope everything, you know, family, everybody comes together. And, you know, it's a, definitely a tough situation. But um, there was an exhibition game still played on yeah. Saturday. You got your first look at, at the minors. Uh, well, let's say we got to look at the minors' depth. Yeah. We didn't really get to look at, at, at our star slash key guys. So looking at the depth, your first look at the, at the squad, what do you think? I mean, I think my concerns with our ability to defend – um, really defend throughout, you know, one through five. I mean, it, it was, there was not, there were a lot of open shots that were given up. Cameron had a lot of open shots. And, and, and frankly, if they were able to hit a lot of their threes, they missed, we wouldn't even have been in the game. Um, now, of course, we didn't shoot very well either. So it kind of goes both ways. But when you play a team like Cameron, that's where you want to step up defensively, shut a team like that down so you can, you know, build on that moving forward into tougher competition. Now, we, we kind of said when we saw the orange and white scrimmage and we said, well, hey, you know, a couple guys going for 30 and, and a team putting up over 100, you know, is that just how good we are offensively or is that how bad we are defensively? Now, I think it's a combination of both because, first of all, we didn't get to see a few of the guys, as we know, a few of the guys were suspended. Dominic Artis wasn't playing. Um, so you really didn't get to see a whole lot of the team. Now, one of the positive notes to take away is, of course, uh, is, is Lee Moore. I mean, that kid is legit. He is an athlete. He's a star. He will be one of the playmakers on this team. In fact, if for whatever reason, you know, obviously we, don't, we hope that's not the case. If for whatever reason uh, Dominic Artis wasn't able to play this year for the minors, I mean, you still have a stud in Lee Moore that's able to, to, to take over games, really, because I told you, you know, one of the things that we were talking about there is like, are we really going to lose this game? Yeah. You know, at the end of it, it's coming down to it, the final five, six minutes, and we're talking about, are we really going to lose this game? And, you know, it doesn't really mean anything if you lose it, but you're just like, you know, you never you don't want to, you, you don't yeah. think you're going to lose that game. So anyways, you know, I, I, I just had a feeling, I'm like, you know what, even though at the time he wasn't playing great, you know, but I'm like, Lee Moore, I have a feeling Lee Moore is not going to let us lose this game. And almost instantly, he just started going off. Step back three, you know, driving the lane, whatever it might be. That kid, that kid is something to build around. He's special. Couple him with guys like Artis, with guys like Omega, with guys like Irvin, Terry, all these other guys that you got. I mean, there is a lot to look forward to with this team. Unfortunately, with everything that's going on, suspensions, eligibility, and so on, it's hard to make a clear judgment as to where they're at at this time. Yeah, because like I mentioned, when we saw we saw the depth. You know, we saw Flagger, we saw Touchette, we saw uh, Broderick Jones, we saw Thomas, guys that are going to be coming off the bench, guys that you're not going to see get 30, 35 minutes a game that they got, guys that are going to be guarding their front line type of players. So I think we got a really good look at that depth, and we saw that there's still a lot of work in between that depth, but there is no denying a guy like Lee Moore who just took over that last six-minute segment. Like you said, he he started off 
pretty strong in that first half, kept the minors at bay. You know, nothing really special, hit a shot, make a layup. But in, in, in like you mentioned, where he kind of went quiet from about the 15-minute mark until that four or five-minute mark when he started to take over. And that is something that we haven't had here. We haven't had that go-to guy, that Randy Culpepper, that Stephon Jackson, that guy that's going to get you those big-time buckets. And not only that, but going back and, and memorizing, you know, when, when we talk about these recruits, he – Wheeled his team as freshman year to that end, uh, the junior college uh, final. I don't even I can't remember something like that they win it, but he hit some big shots. He made some big plays. He had some big time performances, and you saw that. I mean, sometimes you know you talk about these recruits when they sign, and it's oh this guy did this, this guy won this. He was a player of the year here, and you don't really see that this translate. early in the year translate as early. But we saw that. We saw that killer instinct mode. Him turn it on, like you said, kind of. Going back over your statement, you mix that in with an Urban Morris, with an with Omega, with artists, that's going to be pretty special. But to me, two things stood out, and that was Broderick Jones is a big-time defensive liability. There was probably three or four times where a guy that had less, less talent, less athletic ability just blew right by him for a layup. And that's really – that's going to be an issue because I think that Broderick Jones may be our second-best shot blocker at this point in the season. And then number two – I like the game that Paul Thomas had. And I was focusing on the freshman more in this game, obviously. I really like the game that Paul Thomas had. Could have really jacked up about eight to ten shots. Didn't. Was real sound. Played how you were supposed to play against a Division II team. Something that we didn't see from the rest of the bigs. Guys like Hooper, who I really thought Hooper would have a big game. So the freshmen, I think they're going to be all right. A work in progress. There may be that one game, either on the defensive side or the offensive side, where they just clicks for them. But you mentioned it. Defense is the key in rebounding. I think we let up some more 19 offensive rebounds. Yeah. Second chance points weren't a big difference in the game. UTEP actually owned the second chance points. But when you let a team like Cameron who has – I mean, they had some pretty good, decent athletes, but there was nobody that was overly athletic or over that stood out with you. But you allowed 19 offensive rebounds, and you allowed a team like that to score 32 points, and you only scored 32 points in the yeah. paint. Now, we did get to the free throw line. You know, we shot well there. We didn't shoot well from the three-point line. But that offensive rebounding and those points in the paint really concerns me with a team like Cameron that was more of an outside-heavy team that took 27 three-point shots. That's not a team that I think for them that may have been a surprise for them to get 32 points in the paint. So yeah. those are just two things that really stood out to me with the play, the, the lack of defensive play by Broger Jones. And, you know, the growth that we're seeing from Paul Thomas from a, a bad performance in the scrimmage to him coming up, not being a liability. And that's going to be huge for these freshmen to not be liabilities, particularly on that defensive end and on the defensive glass. That's what I'm looking for out of these freshmen. And, you know, I, you know, I'm not too worried about a guy like Broderick Jones because it's clear that he's, that he's not as polished as we had hoped or even that we need him to be at this point. But he's a freshman. I mean, he, he's got time to grow. I mean, he, he, he's still kind of lanky. You know, he's, he's got to be in that body. And, and he'll get better on the defensive end. So I'm not so worried about that at this exact moment. But what I am worried about, and it kind of stems from us relying on guys like Broderick Jones, is that we don't have anybody that can rebound the basketball. Now, of course, Wilms is hurt. That's something that's going to linger on throughout the year. So it's not like, oh, you know, he's out right now, but he'll be back in two weeks. And you got to think he may get, what, three or four minutes more than what he played on Saturday? I I would say max 
max 15 minutes a game is what, what we're looking at. You know, he played four or five minutes on Saturday, and I just don't see him on a regular basis playing any more than 10 minutes. Maybe you stretch it to 15 in the entire situation, but really you don't have the size and you don't have the rebounders. In or the fact, physical. In fact, Lee Moore – Lee Moore is the one guy that was able to crash the boards, you know, so and took over not only scoring, but in the last five minutes of the game, no doubt about it. And so, you know, that is for me, that is what's most troubling at this point. Now, of course, you don't have your entire team right now. So it's kind of hard to say exactly how you're going to be able to, you know, rebound once you have, once you're at full force, but still talking about it, you know, this was a very close rebounding battle throughout the game, like you said, and it actually ended up being, uh, let me see. I think it was only 14 offensive rebounds, actually, which I say only. That's a lot to give up. And and in the end, it ended up being 34-43, but that was a lot closer early on in the game. We got some stops late and were able to pick up some rebounds then. And really, like I said, it was Lee Moore that started cleaning up late in the game on the, on the defensive glass. But that's really what stretched it out because this was a real tight uh, rebounding battle throughout. And that's something that just cannot happen against, university, against a, a team like University of Cameron because that is going to mean once we go up against stiffer competition, that it's going to be even harder to rebound because this wasn't a big team. You're talking about a team that had guys that were 6'8", 6'9". And what is another glaring stat to me is the fact that obviously it stems from some of those rebounds and turnovers and whatnot, but this is a team that had 72 shots against us. They took 72 shots compared to just 47 for us. So, you know, if teams that that are, are better, you know, sound offensive teams are going to, are going to get that type of, you know, those that many chances offensively, we're going to be in a lot of trouble, man. We just we we got to clean it up offensively as far as turnovers go, and defensively on the glass. Those are the two big things that stood out to me. Again, the younger guys, I mean, even though we need them soon, they'll have time to step up, grow into their bodies, get better, you know, and and, and they'll become the players that we need them to be. It just may take a month or two. It may take a year, but. The, the two areas, again, rebounding, turnovers, those are huge. Those are things that need to be corrected right away. And I think the turnovers you'll see, I mean, we saw so many bad passes, so, so just a lack of offensive flow. And, you know, I hate to, you know, it's obvious Dominic Artis would have changed that. It's obvious Urban Morris it's obvious Omega Harris would have changed that. But at the same time, you want to see growth out of these guys that in case Urban Morris gets in an early foul trouble, in case Dominic Artis is ineligible or gets in an early foul trouble, same thing with Omega, that you can go in there and you have no drop-off. There's a huge drop-off at this point of the season from your top-line guys to your depth guys, which I think we're going to really rely on guys like Flagger, guys like Caldwell. You know, one of the guys that had a, a decent game Points-wise, Victor Mbachu, yeah. 14 points, but he only had, I think, an assist, in the, and he had more turnovers than assists. You know, that can't happen. You know, it's nice to have a point guard score 14 points, but in the same time, there's enough talent around where you don't need to have a guy like Mbachu go off for 14 points, or you have shooters. There just was no offensive flow, and I think that was another thing that I noticed, especially early on. I think in the second half, things settled down. You know, first half, it, we just looked lost. A seven start from the field, like in the first seven to eight minutes, bunch of turnovers and like you said they were getting all the looks they may have not been hitting them but they were getting all the easy looks they were getting all the fast break opportunities and, and really pushing the ball and that's something maybe like I said you get a guy like artist who knows tempo show that he can play different tempos that's going to be huge but got a question here off the twitter sphere from lutep minor shout out to lutep will morris and win be back this week i that we have no idea um try to ask coach uh johnson about that after the game um you know obviously 
you know, right now, he wouldn't comment about it. So it's going to be interesting to see where these guys, when they come. But I know, obviously, you can't hold them out. You don't want to hold them out too long. But at the same time, it looks like Floyd and, and staff trying to send a message. You know, and and I, have, I have another question, man. I think because I hate – you know, this is just this is starting to become a trend. Mm-hmm. The, the the suspensions, you know, players in the doghouse. Drama. Uh, drama, just <laughs> all around drama, you know, eligibility, so on and so forth. I mean, you know, Floyd is not these kids' dad, and he's not their, their babysitter. These these kids have to – and I say kids because they, they really are 18-, 19-year-old kids. But really, as a Division One athlete, you know what? You might have to grow up a little faster than a typical 18-year-old would. You, you know, you're, you're in the spotlight, and you can't do certain things that typical 18-year-old kids do. But my question is, is this just something that we're going to start having to just – and I say start, but we've been dealing with it since really day one. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's just become a trend. Is this something that we just have to get used to and just accept that under this – you know, under, under Floyd, that this is the way it's going to be? No, because and and you know you can pull you can I can pull out a home argument and say well it happens to everybody it happens all across the country but at the same time the the timing of it and the consistency of it here at UTEP is definitely alarming so I mean you, yeah you can say well it happens at every university look at Florida football you know in 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 the, in the mid to late you know mid to late 2000s in the de- first decade of the 2000s you can look at so many situations but at the same time it's just like you said some of these kids just have to grow up. You have to grow up. You have to realize, and this is a message Floyd sent, there's something bigger than yourself, and that's the university, that's your teammates, and that's really the city of El Paso. And, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes about over the next week as we find out these kids and what their situation is. Uh, I think we got – Yeah. Yeah. Let me bring him on. Hello. What's up? Can you hear us? We, I can hear you. What's up? All right, we're live. Javier Cortez, Sportstown El Paso. What's going on, Javier? Not much. Just got off work, ready to talk some basketball. That's what's up, man. So you've gotten you you've gotten to see bits and pieces of practice. Guys basically warming up. Uh, guys talking to us, and you saw two uh, two basic glorified practices so what are your early thoughts you know I know you shared a couple of thoughts with me at the scrimmage so what would now that you've seen the scrimmage and you've seen them play different uh, against an opponent what's your kind of take so far in the early season here well this is my third year covering the team and past years have kind of been overly critical or too quick to judge at some points and the teams of the past two years have on plenty of occasions surprised me and bad performances, good performances. So, But I think the two biggest things that you can take away, and they're very obvious, is one, that they have um, a, riches of talent at the guard position. Um, that's definitely going to be their strong suit. If, if Dominic gets his eligibility issues uh, squared away, which I think he will, him and Lee Moore, they'll be fantastic in the backcourt. Then when Omega gets um, eligible, you have, Add in Irvin Morris, maybe a McSwiggin, maybe a Trey Touchette. They have a lot of depth there, and that's going to be that's going to help them. Um, and I guess the bad thing that that you see is there. It looks like they're going to struggle on defense, um, mainly just because a lot of inexperienced players got uh, not a lot of depth up front. So rim uh, protection could be a problem. Uh, but I, I would say those are the two biggest, you know, guards and, you know, might be struggling on defense this year. 
of the freshmen, who do you see as the one that's going to be able to come in and translate to the Division One level right away? It, you know, that that's what puzzles me because none of them have really uh, stuck out. I, I, I mean, I think Paul Thomas and, and Broderick Strongs were the most intriguing because they're kind of highly rated coming in. Um you know, I, I didn't focus too much on Paul Thomas in, in the exhibition, but um, Hooper Vince spoke well about him. Phil Johnson spoke well about him. Um, yeah, I guess it's going to have to be him or Broderick's because they're going to have to fill that void up front because they're so lacking in depth. I mean, they're going to play, you know, whether they play well or bad, you know, that's, that's, that's for us to find out in the future. But I would say one of those two. Um, other the other freshmen, I think, Trey, redshirt freshman, you know, he might play, but, you know, they're, they're not really relying on him. And then uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of any of the other freshmen. Um, so, of course, um, one of the biggest, you know, conversations right now going on, as you mentioned, is Dominic Artis and his eligibility issues. And, you know, right as you were coming on, I was I was posing the question to Alex of just kind of the, the, the drama, if you will, that has surrounded Floyd's program since really day one. And and I kind of, my question is, you know, and I want a different perspective on this because I can talk to Alex all day long about it, but <laughs> what do you make of this? You know, like, are, is this just something that we just have to get used to and, and we see that it's going to be happening for, for as long as Floyd's here? Or, or what do you make of all this that's going on with everything that's happened since he's been here? You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I work at the school newspaper and I uh, wrote a column for the basketball issue talking about, you know, this very issue. And the first sentence I wrote is, you know, I think Tim Floyd at some point in his life just ran over a, uh, like a leprechaun or some Irish folklore <laughs> creature. I mean, the guy has, the guy has no luck, um, you know, and maybe that's, you know, oversimplifying it or I, I'm kind of a Floyd apologist, you know, I, I, I'm at times critical and stuff and, and maybe you can pinpoint some of it on him in the sense that, well, these are the players that he is recruiting, but at the same time, um, this is one of the best recruiters in the nation. I mean, going back to um, the mid to late 90s, he had Kirk Heinrich and he had Nick Carlson signed up for Iowa State, then he left for the Bulls. I mean, he could have had, you know, arguably one of the best teams in the Big 12 in the late 90s. Then he goes to USC, DeMar DeRozan, um, and O.J. Mayo, two of the most highly touted guards to come out in their respective years. So he he is a great recruiter, but it's just uh, I I mean maybe you can put some blame that you know yes these are the players that he's going after, but some of the reasons why um, you know these players have left is just laughable. I mean three players suspended for gambling, you don't see that every day, or or players not meeting the uh, academic standards of UTEP, which are not high at all, and that's happened on more than a few occasions. Uh, the whole Isaac Hamilton debacle where, you know, he wanted his grandparents wanted to see him play, but his brother was playing in Connecticut. Uh, he wanted to stay close to home, but really it was just probably tampering from USC or UCLA. So it, it, it's tough to really put a, a factual statement on it just other than just saying he doesn't really have good luck here or something. And, and and also, in part, it's it's UTEP. You know, El Paso, it's a great city. I love it, but it's 
you know, it's between a, uh, a tumbleweed and a hard place. So it's hard to get recruits to come here and make them feel at home and familiar. So it's tough. It's tough to see. Yeah, and, and like I mentioned, Anthony, I mean, you look at this year with so many college transfers, you know, but it's just the repeated luck that Floyd has, and it's, just, it's really unexplainable. Totally agree with you on that one. Javier Cartes from Sports Town El Paso and the UTEP Papers, uh, the prospect that joins us here on the Rush Podcast. <clears throat> one of the big questions that you had when we first talked to Floyd was the four-guard lineup. We saw a lot of that on Saturday, um, you know, more so, you know, with the depth unlike the frontline guys that we're expecting, the Morrises, Tuchets, or excuse me, the Morrises, the Hardises, all those guys, what did you see out of those lineups? And, and, you know, not only from a depth standpoint, but when you get those guys back, um, what's going to be a liability? What do you think is going to be a strength with this particular team and those four-guard lineups that we're probably going to see, you know, from what we've seen so far? Well, I mean, me personally, I don't necessarily like seeing – really small lineups, four-guard lineups, but at the same time, he's playing to his, his personnel. He's he's very short up front. He has a lot of guards, a lot of talented guards, so he has to kind of go with that. Uh, the problems with playing such a small lineup, four guards, is you suffer in the rebounding department. Um, but at the same time, I would say they would probably have been a bad rebounding team anyways if they try to play two traditional big men, a 6-7 wing, and then two guards. So you might as well just go small, pick up the pace of the game, play faster, and and try to score more to kind of uh, negate your rebounding problems. But as far as for seeing them on uh, last Saturday, it's just that's another thing, struggling defensively, because when you play with four guards and teams run pick and rolls against you, that means that you're gonna have, you're gonna have a guard guarding the roll man to the basket, which is usually the job of a big man who guards a roll man. And so when you take a guard and put them in that position, it's it's unfamiliar territory, and so that can be a struggle defensively. But uh, I feel like once they get McSwiggin healthy, and you know, I think they can mix and match some decent lineups. You can have, you know, Dominic Lee. Uh, Irvin, McSwiggin, and Paul Thomas or Hooper Venn. I think that's an interesting lineup. I mean, uh, the first four guys are guards, but McSwiggin and Morris have length. They have height, so that can help. Um, But overall, I just feel, you know, he's playing to his personnel. That's really what he has to go to right now. So I know this is kind of hard to do because – you know, with a guy like Artis, you don't know if they're going to be available. With guys like Omega and McSwiggin, you don't know when they're going to be available. With a guy like Wilms, you don't know how much he's going to be available. But all things considered, what do you see happening with this team this year? I mean, wins and losses, what would you, what would you say is your prediction? Uh, I, I hate predictions, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I don't follow the conference really well, so I don't really know the depth, who's who's going to be who um, until I really see it when they play, but they they have the ability to really do what they've done the last few years, to be quite honest, and I don't know if that's exciting to most UTEP fans, being a low 21 team, you know, in contention for a conference title. Uh, you know, they have the potential to win a, a to win a conference title simply because Conference USA is not a great 
you know, conference. So there's really not a far uh, discrepancy in, in terms of talent with what UTEP has, what UTEP, uh, with what UTEP has with their coaching. Um, so, you know, NCAA tournament, it's, it's definitely going to be a stretch because, uh, like I said, I think defensively they can really take a step back, and that's, you know, a hallmark thing of, of Coach Floyd teams. Um, but, you know, I, I think middle, um, low to mid-21 season, NIT um, appearance or so, third, fourth place, second place in Conference USA, I think that's reasonable. But I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, maybe have a 18, 18 wins, 17 wins, just depending. I mean, like like we already said, that their luck, you know, is definitely – they don't have any, so – player injuries, player suspensions, you never know. So, kind of like the last two years, really. Man, Javier, I don't know what what kind of uh, career future you have in plan, but I think SID might be in line, man. You skirt around a question better than anybody I have ever met in my life, man. Good stuff. (laughs) One of the better basketball minds in the El Paso media, Javier Cortez. Javier, uh, I know you've got multiple platforms, man, where where you write about UTEP basketball, pro basketball. Tell tell our listeners how they can – follow you on Twitter and follow your work, man. Well, I, I write for two different places. I write for the UTEP school newspaper, um, the sports editor, and I run my own website that I just recently took over um, sp- uh, called Sports Town El Paso. We cover, you know, basically everything under the sun in the Sun City, uh, you know, from UTEP athletics to all those marathons, you know, profiles on athletes. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JFH uh, underscore Cortez. Um, yeah, I'm not super big on social media, but I'll, I guess I'm worth a follow. That's what's up, Javier. Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Check Javier's stuff out at his media outlets, and we will talk to him soon. Definitely good stuff from Javier. Yeah, good to talk to other man. other people in, in the in the local media that cover UTEP sports, you know. And definitely Javier's a, a great mind when it comes to to UTEP basketball. I mean, he's always there. He's always covering it, so he knows what's going on as much as anybody else. And um, definitely hope to have him back on sometime soon. But no <laughs> doubt about it. I like you know going back to what he was talking about with Floyd and saying um, that he just kind of had this this bad luck rap here like and over a leprechaun <laughs> i just i hear it like i do understand like hey man like like i said in the beginning you're he's not their their dad or their babysitter or anybody else he's not there to hold them to hold them by the hand maybe maybe he's just come from a place you know coaching at bigger programs at usc at, at, for the bulls where you just kind of coach and you let them do their thing you know what i mean and you ex- that they hold a certain yeah. level of maturity and accountability, accountability. Um, so, so maybe, maybe he's he's just, I don't, I don't just, maybe he's negligent. I don't know if, if you can even call it that. But there's just so much that has been going on, and at one point you say, okay, dang, that's unlucky. Dang, that's that's unlucky. That damn, that's a bad break. At what point do you start saying, like, man, this stuff just follows him, you know? Because it's been like that since USC, and and look. I'm so hot and cold on Tim Floyd. Like, I think the guys, like like Javier said, he's definitely one of the best recruiters in the nation. The guy can get it done recruiting. The guy's an awesome defensive coach. 
I have my issues in other areas, but you know, it's just I don't know how to feel, and and especially when there's been so much letdown in, in as far as wins and losses have gone since you've been here because we have such high expectations. It's just so hard to to kind of just like accept these things. You know, does that make sense? No, nah, it makes perfectly sense. I mean, there's nothing I could do to to add to that because I mean, it really you can go back and. and Look at the bad luck in recruiting, and and I know right now up on, on Minor Illustrated on their board, they have two threads going up there with all the former minor players that have either committed, signed, and didn't show up, and that list is about seventeen deep. Yeah, there's a lot of. So you can go back, and, and and I think the fair for me the fair assessment is go look at another school, and like I said, because we're seeing so much. I don't think that UTEP is in the minority on this, but they're definitely not getting a pass because it's happened so often. And like you said, under the Tim Floyd era, I don't remember. I think the only player that I could remember from the mid two thousands when I was a season ticket holder was Gio St. Amat leaving because of uh, an issue with, with his, with his mother or something. You just didn't hear it that often during those days, you know, and this is obviously a different time, you know, different decade, but yeah, I mean, there's, it's really, I think we'll find out how much, how bad it really is if this art, I think if this artist situation turns out, the question has got to be asked. I mean, it's, you got, I mean, it's either got to come from us or from somebody else where, you know, it, asking Floyd, is it bad luck? I mean, is it ne- negligence? Like you said, is it, is it, you know, letting guys be grown adults at this age that they just can't handle it? Or is there something deeper? And I think fans that were promised UTEP to be back on the national stage from the horse's mouth. Yeah. After six years of attrition, drama, negative news, I think we do deserve a explanation. You see how hot that statement was right there? Cha-ching! <laughs> but anyways, but yeah, no, I mean, but it's know, something hey, that... that... Here's, the, here's, here's the biggest thing, man. It's just the, his teams have, have under uh, underperformed over and over and over again, man. That's the biggest thing here because you know what? Even though it might not be okay to just say, like, you know, if, if things were just black and white, you would never want to be like, oh, I'm all right with this drama. You know, I'm okay with it. But in reality, in reality, as a fan, you sweep a lot under the rug if you are winning ball games, yep. man. Oh, yeah. You, you will sweep just about anything short of murder probably, you know, and, and obviously there's a lot of other things. I'm, I'm getting a little crazy. You get it, but you get but, you know, point. there's a lot that you will let go of if you are winning games winning and, and, all. and you haven't seen that with Floyd. And so when you have these types of issues, it sticks out even more. And, and it just makes you think, you know, when we talked about artists, when he signed artists, we talked about it. We might've talked about it on the podcast, but we definitely talked about it in person about how this was potentially a job saving get man. Like this was something that saved his it had ass. to happen. It had to happen. And, and now that you're seeing like, this may not happen. Where do we go? Where do we go next? You know, and and you know the thing like with Wilms, that's definitely bad luck. I'm I talked about it on the podcast when when we found out Omega was ineligible, and I put that squarely on the shoulder of Floyd because I'm sorry, but you cannot let your best returning player just mess around, skip class, do bad, whatever he's doing. You cannot let that happen. You should have people, graduate assistants, whoever it is, assistant coaches out there hounding him, waking up to go to class. They have a to. committee. I'm sure Cougars talked about the, having that Matt committee or the football team. I mean, wh- wh- why Why is it that 
you got a guy like Sean Cougar that is weeding out those issues in such a short period of time, but over that long period of time with the same resources, the same administration where you're having these issues. And that's why I'm saying that if this, if this Dominic artist situation ends up going south the way that, I mean, it's 50-50 right now, that question I think has to be brought up. It really does. And it has to be in a respectable form where you, it can't be beat around the bush. It can't get, you can't get coaches speak out of it. You can't just get, Oh, well, woe is me. Shut all shucks. Yeah. We, it's year six and this is happening at least a minimum twice a year, you know? And I think if this does come to light, you got, you have to, it has to get brought up. So we'll find out, but there's some basketball going to be going down on Saturday. We have a double directional school coming in. <laughs> East Central Oklahoma comes in 705 on Saturday. Uh, football team plays on Friday night. So oh, there was 5,000 announced there on Saturday. Yeah, I don't know about that. So we'll see what goes down. But that's in 705. We'll, we'll find out that, a lot. We'll find out a lot. But before that, before that, it's going to be a Friday kickoff. In case y'all missed it, Friday, CBS Sports Network, National Television. Rice is here at UTEP football, um, trying to use that as a as a little bit of a segue into football here. Um, Miners coming off a, a rough loss, man. I mean, I don't think, again, you know, we talked about it last week. We weren't even looking for them to win the game. We were looking for them to stay competitive. They did for a while. They fought late. But there were just so many things that it felt like, you know, we, t- we took one step forward against Florida Atlantic, and we took two steps back against Southern Miss. And, and we get into these games, you know, it's a 34-13 loss, but we get into these games where it seems like Kugler almost doesn't want to try to win. Like, it seems like, like year one, we talked about year one when, you know, he pretty much just wrote the season off in the beginning, and it was just going through the motions until it ended. You know, and at times it seems like there's games where he just goes through the motions rather than try to win because the the play calling that we saw against Florida Atlantic was not the same play calling that we saw against Southern Miss. So I just I don't even know what to expect. I don't know what team to see or what team to expect to see on a weekly basis. I mean, is this is, is this Friday gonna gonna go back to the open it up and, and just kind of stretch it out, air it out, trick plays and so on? I, I really don't know. We saw one flea flicker early on against Southern Miss, but other than that, we saw a lot, a lot of predictable play calling, which basically just takes us back a few weeks. And, you know, now we're sitting at three and five. And again, I just don't even know what to expect. Yeah, I mean, I, that's a game where I was, you know, obviously at the Haskins Center, so I wasn't really following too, too much. or I, And I still haven't even gone back and watched the replay. Um, but you're right. I mean, you just, you, you didn't see you didn't hear, you didn't feel that there was that mix of run. You're talking about 30 rush attempts, 3.2 yards of carry, 50 yards in the first half, 52 in the second half, whatever it was, it was 50-50. You just, it, it's that same deal where it seems like, like I said, I haven't watched the game. I don't really have, I have a couple of thoughts on this game, but it's like that that damn thing we keep saying, that damn square peg, whatever circle peg square peg you're just trying to jam it in there and it's not working but you you saw in portions of that game when we're able to complete some passes or you're able to kind of get some sort of separation with with the secondary on the offensive side of the ball and it's just it's just not consistent enough you know left which not a bad day per se 16 out of 32 197 yards no sacks no turnovers 
But you look at these receiving numbers, and it just it's appalling. Hayden Plink, four receptions, probably had about seven or eight targets. That's what you want to see. But when Jeremiah LaFossa is your leading receiver, that's an issue. That should never happen. I, and that's not taken away from LaFossa. And, and I shouldn't say that should never happen. But in a game where LaFossa is our lead, leading receiver, where's Batson? Where's Reddix? Where's Jaquan White? Where's Autre Golden? That's play calling. I don't even have to watch a 60-minute a, a film to understand that. You know what? Like you said, we took two step backs. Some other things that really, really just were showed that we have two, uh, t- took two steps back, tackling. Cougar said we missed 17 tackles. Watching the highlights, because that's pretty much all that I've really broke down, I mean, it was pitiful. It was pitiful in the secondary. Blocking, I mean, so many times where it seemed like it should have been a four- to five-yard gain, it busted out to a 10 to 12, a backbreaker. I mean, that right there was, was just – kind of the story of that football game because early in the game we were hanging the other part that that really frustrated me was two drives start in the 50 and you only get three points in the first yeah. half that can't happen there's that goes back to play calling and, and maybe what we didn't see where we're getting turnovers or big play and we're taking those shots like you saw against FAU it wasn't it was just turn around and pound it to La Fossa pound it to Dow which it's okay but when you're only averaging 3.2 yards a carry on 32 carries Something has to change mid-game, some type of adjustment, and we just did not see that again, to your point, how you opened up about this football talk. And one thing that I that I did like, and I mentioned this to you during the game, is that we have seen, uh, you know, Dowell and LaFasa, they, they're running much better than they were two or three weeks ago. You can now, tell LaFasa's healthier. Yeah, and in the end of the game, it didn't really translate yardage-wise, but I think it changes once you start falling behind, you start having to pass a little more. But early on, when it was run, 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 you saw them making cuts, you know, hitting holes harder, running downhill like we hadn't seen them do uh, early on in the season once, once Jones went down. So that, that to me, is, is definitely something to, to key on and, and, and to build on moving forward. But what kills me more than anything, man, what kills me, it just it gets to me. It, it's something that I think was even made in the, in the open thread, if I'm not mistaken, um, Somewhere in there, and talking about the about the, the the illegal substitution penalty that happened at the end of the first half, or or sometime in the first half, you know, you've got a seven three game. Okay, we didn't play great, but we moved the ball a little bit against them. Our defense was stepping up against them, and it's a seven three ball game late in the first half. And we had a penalty where we gave them an extra first down. It should have been a, a punt. We run a a twelfth guy out there. That was in the third quarter. Oh, was the third quarter. We were down twenty to six at that point. Okay. Still, still in the ball game with okay. a big defensive stop. Well, there was that. You know, you, you get the stop. And you got your eleven guys out there, and last second, a twelfth guy is running out on the field like if you're missing a player. That is just not being fundamentally sound. That's not having having you know your head on straight. That's coaching, man, and and that kills me because that. That gave them a, a free drive, and if I'm not mistaken, they went on to score a touchdown on that drive. Uh, the other one is late in the first half where Southern Miss was content. They got it around, I think, the, what, we missed a we field missed a goal, right? We missed a 50-yarder. We missed a 50-yarder. They got it around the 35 or 40-yard line, and they were content, surprisingly to me, with 43 seconds on the clock, if I'm not mistaken, they were content to take it to the half. They ran just a little inside give, 
and he busts it for 35, 30, 35 yards. And all of a sudden, they're in business. And their very next play, they just toss it down the sideline for another 30 yards. And all of a sudden, they're sitting at the five-yard line with 20 seconds left. And they end up punching it in. And now you're talking about a 14-3 game at half rather than a 7-3 game. And it's just mistakes like those. The 12th man penalty. Time the, 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 you know, not being able to just make a tackle on a handoff where a team is saying, you know what, we're conceding. We're going to the half up 7-3. You know, you can't – you. You cannot let mistakes like those happen, especially on the road, and especially against a team like Southern Miss that is obviously at a different level than, than UTEP is right now. And those those mistakes are just so frustrating because you take those 14 points off the board, and I know you can't just say, oh, well, it would have been 14 points less. But if you take those 14 points off the board, in the fourth quarter we got it to a 14-point game where it was 27-13, it would have been a much different situation without those two those two touchdowns. And, and I'm, I'm going to play good cop slash harsh cop. I'm going to say good cop because, you know what, Kugler manned up to it, said it was on the coaching staff on Monday, da-da-da-da-da, you know, said all the right things. Bad cop, this is week eight. This is week eight. Yeah. I, I can accept that week two, week three, maybe week four. Now, like Kugler said, going back to the good cop, they've had some changes on, on special teams, so it's going to happen. But at the same time, it's week eight. I mean, I remember in – I remember coming up playing football, and I would I wouldn't memorize who was on a certain defense. I would memorize who was on punt team. Like, where is that coach? Where is that player? Where's that special teams captain that's, you know, I just remember that. I, I remember doing that on the offensive side of counting of, of who we had, depending on our personnel or even on special teams. I just remembered that, you know, there's, I don't want to say there's a disconnect or something, but that that's on the coaching staff. And this is week eight. This is week eight. I mean, that's just unacceptable at all. And, and also going back to the poor tackling where that situation, you know, missing two or three tackles there's got to be some type of average per rush because it wasn't on. I thought we defended the pass very well. I thought we tackled well after the pass. A couple of embarrassing plays towards the end of that half that set up that score. Guy goes over three defenders. That is coaching right there. That is coaching. The lack of of, of we had we kind of saw in the Florida Atlanta game where every tackle was made. It's just week week you see so many drop offs and you got to wonder. If it's the coaching. So, I mean, at the same time, like I said, where I, I like the fact that Cougar's going out there and owning it. I really respect that. I've said that on here before. I, I think that's what you need as a head coach instead of making mistakes. But at the same time, this is week eight. And really, if we're doing this in week eight, that's just what a bad football team does. You know, and that's just what we're going to have to come come to the realization of. But, you know, through all the bullshit, through the bad football that we've seen, through the injuries, you know, the bat, the ugly, <laughs> somehow, some way, this fucking team just don't make a bowl game, bro. And this game against Rice is so big for people inside of El Paso no, this, and inside of, of UTEP. This is it. This is it. This is your bowl game right here, to be honest with you. Yeah. If you want to talk about playoffs and postseason, the playoffs start this week because Rice is in a very similar situation to UTEP. They're 4-4, four and four, but they shot themselves in the foot over and over and over. If you go look at Rice message boards and what Rice people talk about, in fact, I saw a tweet, maybe you retweeted it, about at least Rice can't beat themselves or something like that. Or yeah, something about their those. penalties. It was about yeah, their penalties. You know, they, they, they're in a very similar situation to UTEP, and if you look at their schedule, they whooped on Wagner early on. They lost to Texas. 
They they beat North Texas by both scores. They got rolled by Baylor, rolled by Western Kentucky, snuck by FAU, granted, on the road, and they beat Army. So this is a team that, you know, they've kind of won where they should, but they've gotten rolled in games that we thought, like Louisiana Tech this week, 42-17, like Western Kentucky, 49-10, at home, mind you, both of those games. And the second you half know, of the Texas game where they were hanging tough in that first half, if you want to throw yeah, that in there and, for good and, measure. You know, those – in fact, if I'm not mistaken, that Texas half was, that Texas game wasn't close, and they made it close late, right? Or am I mistaken? It, it was. I, I want to say it was close in the first half, and then Texas rolled them. But anyway, either way, yeah. Regardless, you know, this is a team way. that that you know is not what we expected coming in, and now we have them at home, and and we've got an opportunity to pick up a huge win because if you can go to four and five on the season. You still got Old Dominion, granted, on the road, and North Texas also on the road, but you've got two teams at the bottom of the league that if you play, let's say, above average in those games, you should have a very good chance to win the game. And if you can do that, regardless of what happens against Louisiana Tech, if you lose 70-0, to zero, you're still 6-6. Six and six. And in this league, it looks like 6-6 six and six will be in a bowl game. Shit, maybe even 5-7, and seven, bro. You never know. But, you know, for the first time, for the first time, I can I, maybe since the Incarnate Word game, I actually feel good about this game. And let me back it up with two reasons. Number one, Rice's rush defense. They're allowing 196 yards. And I'm, I've kind of gotten away from the whole total yardage deal in breaking teams down. But they've given up their share of yards. They really have. And that goes into the to the pass defense side of it as well. I mean, this is a team that's allowed 117 plays over 10 yards on the season. Their their advanced stats, the explosive, you know, measurements rank in the in the hundreds. Um, you know, it's just really I, I like their chances because of what I asked Cougar. Cougar talked about he was upset that the offense did not get chunk plays, but you know those big time plays. Southern Miss, and I figured well, I've watched a couple of Rice games this year, and I've seen them get exposed, particularly against La Tech. How do you generate this? And Cougar answered it right. They got to dial it up. You can't be scared in this game. You have to let that play action go. He he mentioned about getting the ball downfield to guys like Batson, to guys like Reddick, to guys like White, guys like Golden, and that is totally different from what I've heard all year because it's always been like, well, we have to get it open. We have to open it. But now where it's like, look, we need to get that. So if, big if, if we see that Florida Atlantic offense on Friday night against Rice, I like that chances, but that is not even 50-50. That's like 30-70 to see that happen because you see it one week and then it goes back. I mean, but that's why I like this I like UTEP's chances because of Rice's ability or inability or ability to allow big plays. And if the Miners come out with an offensive game plan, I'm going to say it, and just an offensive game plan, I like the chance for us to just compete and give ourselves a chance to win. What pisses me off so much is that Kugler is not stupid, man. You know, he knows what he needs to do, and he comes out and he says it every single week, yet every single week we don't see that translate into the game. Why? Why? And this game will be the big why. Because, like like I mentioned, this is a team that you can really expose. I mean, look, they're allowing 42%. Basically, when you line up, you have a 43% chance, according to these advanced stats, of breaking out a big play. I mean, 
it, it, it's going to drive me fucking crazy <laughs> if it doesn't happen, bro. And, and, the, and that point, you have to start questioning, is Patrick Higgins the guy to run his offense? If it does, because th- that's a nice catch. But this is this is why I feel good because I feel that the UTEP offense. Bro, that was on third and thirty nine. Wow, I just saw the five and there's a flag. Oh, that's a holding. I'd be so. Pissed. But I mean, it just I like our chances if we let. I mean, and there's a question on on, on the on the podcast that I really wanted to on the thread that I really wanted to to answer, and it goes into this. Does Leftwich's performance assure you that? W- leave you assured with him as quarterback against Southern Miss? And I say yes, but at the same time. They didn't really let him do much, but what they let him do, he still threw for 197 yards. My question he didn't turn the ball over. So, yeah, and and you got to let this happen against a team that's susceptible and see what your results are. And this is, it has to be, or if not, it's good. The questions are going to come up for me, bro. My question is, does it even matter if we're assured or not? You know, we've seen all year that basically, you know, I'm all stuttering here, but fired up. You fired up. Cougar had no. No chance of taking out Ryan Metz after what he did against New Mexico State, regardless of what uh, you know uh, health status was. If if Metz had continued to play at the level that he did in that game, he would have been the start of the rest of the season hands down, because yeah. there would have been no excuse for him to take him out. But the reality is that the second that he got an opportunity to do it, he went right back to Leftwich. So really, it doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter if we're assured. And that's another thing that just pisses me off so much about this staff is that they're not willing to try different things, not only in play calling, not only in game planning, but with the players. He's got his mindset on Mac Leftwich is my quarterback. And you know what? For the next three years. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe Mac Leftwich is better than Garrett Simpson. Maybe Mac Leftwich is better than Ryan Metz, Kavika Johnson, and all of them. Maybe. But when you're in the situation that you are, and, and now I think we're past it, because there was, a, there was an opportunity when Leftwich was out to put Garrett Simpson in. And that's really who everybody has wanted to see. Ryan Metz, great, man. Hometown kid, played well, love it. You know, props to him. But really, everybody has wanted to see Garrett Simpson. This is a kid that has stuck with this program for three years or four years already, right? You know, this is a guy that has, has given himself to this team. I don't know what the situation is inside the locker room, but he never got his opportunity. And that is what is just what gets me so much is that it really doesn't matter whether we're assured, whether a guy's playing well or not. When they have their mind made up on what they want to do, and we've seen it in play calling, we've seen it in game planning, we've seen it in, in, in players, in, in personnel. It doesn't matter. When they have their mind made up on something, they're going to continue to do it whether it works or not. That, man, that is what gets me so much about this coaching stuff. That's the total opposite of where you hear these initiative, young, up-and-coming coaches that are just dynamic in what they do. And Cougar's the opposite. And it's we've touched on it so many times. When you have your personnel in, yes. But at this point, he's still two or three recruiting classes behind to do what he wants to do and turn around and hand the ball off. You just, you're just not going to be able to do that. You know, it, it, and you can't even say, well, you still have Mike Price's players. Why do you go into a spread? You don't. You really don't. You know, this is most of those guys are gone. The only guy really left on the offensive side bullshit. of the ball no is, matter is, is what, no Dow. Matter what, and let me just say this real quick. That whole argument of, because I heard it, and this is the third week in a row that I bring up that one guy that I got into an argument on Twitter with a few weeks back, but he brought that up. Oh, well, what did Mike Price do? All he did was win with, with somebody else's players. You know what? Bullshit, bro. Because coaching is not about, you know, X's and O's all the time. It's not about what players can you bring in. It's about getting the best out of the players that you have. 
And Mike Price was able to do that with those players that Gary Nord was going 2-10 and 10 with the year before and so on. So, you know, you can't start making these arguments that while you're doing it with different players and so on and so forth. I, I, it's hate, a bullshit I excuse. hate that it excuse, is. man. It's, it's, a it's an excuse. excuse. For sure, man. So... It's you gonna be all fired up now. That's bro. what I like to do. I like, I like to get you I'm fired out of here. up, bro. And <laughs> it, 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 gives, it lets people listen. So oh, what you man. think, man? I mean, this is this is like you said, this is the Super Bowl in a sense. I mean, Super what, the Super Bowl. What happens? I, I I must give you my take real quick. I think I might cut you off Rice, again. I don't know. <laughs> Rice is misinterpreted to, to get it. Stuff, to get him fired up, and I might. Be I know what's the truth. We've been doing this podcast. That's too long. I know what triggers you, bro. That's what it is. You do it on purpose, huh? <laughs> anyway, like I was saying, Rice is they've been they they get behind that eight ball so quick when it comes to scoring, when it comes to momentum. And if <laughs> if the <laughs> offense opens up, it can happen where UTEP could jump out to a to an early lead. But we've talked about that being an Achilles heel where it just hasn't happened. But I I just really feel good about this game and seeing that it, it can happen. I think UTEP jumps out to an early lead. I think they're able to hold that lead with a decent run game. But I think that defense will break, and I think Rice will be able to get some shots downfield. I think this is going to be a really close game where we're sitting there in the fourth quarter thinking, damn, one or two plays, we should be up a score, two scores. I think that's how this one's going to go. Who's going to win? I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't seen that killer instinct from UTEP, but we've had those leads. But I think we're going to get that opportunity in this game to jump out on those early leads. But it's going to be about that fourth quarter. And then make the adjustments. Rice is going to get their yards on the ground. Really good rushing team. They do give up 26 sacks, but they have two guys that average over 4.4 uh, 4 yards to carry. Very efficient. I, I did a write-up today. This is crazy, bro. They're one of the most fast-tempo teams in the nation, but they are second in the nation in time of possession. And I think that methodical drive mixed with our ability to break and let big plays could be an Achilles heel come that fourth quarter where we're trying to protect the lead. Because I really feel that we can get out to a lead. How, how, do, you, how do you see it kind of yeah, going? I mean, you know, I just think, first of all, I think this is the best opportunity that we've had to knock off Rice in a long time. Yeah. Um, a much needed win. Yeah, I mean, they really had our number. But at the same time, this is a team that really just spreads it around, man. You talk about Dreyfus Jackson. He can do it with his arm and with his feet. You talk about Derek Dillard. And not only Dillard, but you, you've got Samuel Stewart, who's averaging four and a half a carry. Austin and they just Walker, threw him Walker, in recently. Talk, who's averaging 6.5 a carry. And then you've got three different receivers that have, you know, 24 receptions or more. So they really do spread it around somewhat similar to Southern Miss, the way Southern Miss is. Obviously, Southern Miss is a lot more explosive, but Rice will spread it around, and they will rely more heavily on their run game, which I feel like this defense has not shown on a consistent basis that they can stop. But the they've run. had great at stretches. Times, yes. At times, they've had stretches. I agree and, with and, you, bro. And that's, but that's the issue, though, for me, is that can they do this for four quarters? Once Rice starts to just kind of lean on you and just lean on you and just That's, pound it yep. and pound it and pound it, how long can that damn hold? You know what I'm saying? Like how much is it going to take before that thing just burst? And and I don't know, especially especially in a close game down the stretch, does this team have enough enough character, man, to pull out a win in the fourth quarter like we saw Ryan Metz do when, when he made that comeback drive? That was huge, bro. I mean, that stuff that you don't see – from many players That's on the legend one. It is, honestly. Really? It is. Like you don't see that from very many people on a on a division. Ninety eight yards, no you know, no touchdown, no timeout. Many quarterbacks at the NFL. Cool, level. We're talking about you that, know, yep. there's definitely some guys, you know, your Brady's, your 
Matthews, your Romo, Derek Carr, your your Romo, Derek Carr. Hey, at least I can say Romo and be honest about it. No, but seriously, you know, there's definitely a handful of, of guys on the NFL level that can do that, but then there's a lot of others that don't. So when you see what Ryan Met, what Ryan Metz did, that is just it's crazy to see that that guy has that in him. Does does Mac Leftwich have that in him? Is my question. If we are down four points and we you know, to win that game. when we haven't even scored that many offensive touchdowns this year. You know, can we get that done in the fourth quarter? From the box to the field. I don't know, man. I don't know. And that's what gets me the most is because I do think this will be a close game. But I do think also that, that Rice is going to rely on that run game. They're just going to lean on us, lean on us, lean on us. And at some point it's going to start to break and they will take a fourth quarter lead on us. Are we going to have enough in us? To come back, answer back, you know, generate a game-winning drive, game-tying drive. I don't know. We haven't even seen a situation like that. That Mets game against NMSU, we haven't seen anything like that this year. So I don't know if this team has it in them. And that—that's exactly my point. It just—I I really feel early on in the game we're gonna get our we're gonna get our punches in there. But fourth quarter, where's it gonna go? And that's—that's that's a big question. So six o'clock start. Buy one, get one free tickets. Look at you, Ted. Friday night, don't forget, Friday night, uh, televised nationally on CBS College Sports. Ooh, Fox Sports 1. Is it Fox Sports? Yeah, it it actually is Fox Sports 1. No. I swear, look at it up. No. It's got to be Fox. Because Fox Sports 1 is the only one that has the the Friday night games, if I'm not mistaken. Because even Cougar says. Loser has to do the post-game write-up. All right. (laughs) Let's see. Let's see. We we're just wasting time here on the podcast, but we're going to get you the correct information. Um, I don't see it on – yeah, ESPN has it at CBS Sports Network. UTEP Athletics. ESPN has it at CBS Sports Network. UTEP has it as – well, Alex's computer won't load, but 6 p.m. kickoff, nationally televised by one – CBS Sports Network. Oh, Alex is wrong. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rice right now, six and a half points. Huge game for the minor season. I mean, if you lose this one, bowl game out the window. Um, I just it's 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 that pivotal game that is gonna give you that boost you need to pick up a win, you know, against North Texas. Cause even though North Texas is no good, man, we've never been a good road team. Nah. Never been a good road team. So there's nothing to say that we're gonna be able to go to North Texas and win that game. So, you know, this but this is that type of game that if you pick it up, it gives you just that extra mm, you know, that extra little bit of confidence that this team to, to start, desperately needs. that this team desperately needs to start picking up those wins. You got old Dominion next week, Louisiana Tech to follow and North Texas North Texas to wrap it up. But you know, if if we do want to go to a bowl game, which we really shouldn't even be talking about with this team, but if yeah. you do want to go to a bowl game, it's gotta start this week. It's just crazy that you're we're still in it. <laughs> it's great that that's, how I, feel, that's how I feel about the Cowboys too. But, you know, I'm sure people well, outside, outside of well outside of the Cowboy Nation wouldn't feel the same. well when most of your division is 500 or below, sir. Yeah, pretty much, man. <laughs> Moving on to the Conference USA Power Rankings, a very interesting vote this week, and I say interesting because I was so tempted to put Marshall to one? put Marshall I, I one was and was nobody did. And I, I was like, wow, I wonder how many people were in that same situation. Yeah, I was I all so was. close to putting them number one. And I think they deserve it because of the not, hey, I already called it last week. They're going to beat Western Kentucky. I, and I agree I with the way their defense is playing, but either way well, that, that comes up in a couple of weeks, Western Kentucky checks in at number one. We had an extra voter today or this week. 16 first place votes. They take on FAU. I think they should mop FAU. That was a tough loss. We'll get into FAU's loss 
against FIU. I think that's a fractured loss. Um, but I did mean, they lose to FIU? No, no, uh, FAU lost to FIU. FAU beat FIU. FAU beat FIU. FIU yeah, so yeah, yeah. And, and I think I think Western Kentucky will roll FAU. But I mean, that's that. It, it pretty much the tiers have separated themselves in a big way. We've talked about having, you know, one top tier. I think there's two top tiers. Yeah, with Western Kentucky and, 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 and Marshall. Yeah. I think right now they are the class of the yep, league. No doubt about it. Louisiana Tech is right there, kind they're, of, sort of. They're but, trying to hang on, but really they're, yeah. in, that, they're in that 1D tier yep. with Louisiana Tech, I mean, with uh, Southern Miss. And and Marshall has, I think it's, I'm still a Blue Raider fan. I still think this could be oh, a close man. game because of their that. offense, but that's going to be a real interesting game to kind of keep, keep up that de facto East Championship game at the end of the season. And then you mentioned it, LaTeX. This is kind of that second tier. LaTeX coming in at three, six and three overall. Southern Miss coming in at number four, six and three. If UTEP, if Rice demolishes UTEP and Louisiana Tech takes care of business against North Texas, do you throw Rice, our number five team, into that 1B tier? Or is it still nah, Louisiana Tech and Southern close. Miss? Not, not even, even close. close. Because you know what? Especially when if it, okay, it'd be one thing if Rice was demolishing Southern Miss or demolishing Louisiana Tech, then they move up into that. But there's really nobody else in this league, even Middle Tennessee, you know that that is worthy of qualifying as a big win. Yeah. You know, so even beating UTEP by 28 or 35 or 42, we saw Florida, Florida International beat us by 42. You know, so. It's it's hard to justify moving somebody up because they beat UTEP. You know, it just we're so inconsistent that it's it you just can't. So Rice is definitely in that third tier, if you will. They might be all alone, really, because yeah. even Middle Tennessee is kind of just clawing their way into that. They're third hanging tier, on but, by a thread. But you know, it, I just can't see anybody anybody cracking that top four. You know, barring some crazy stuff happening down the stretch. Did you go like this? Did you cover your eyes and were like six to thirteen? Because, <laughs> bro, I mean, looking at, I mean, no, but you know what? I actually think it was very easy. I actually thought it was very easy this week because, first of all, what I normally do is I start at the top, right? And you know, you know who you're going. You yeah. know you're going your top four, whatever. Even now, you know, with Rice is number five, definitely, right? So Middle Tennessee is six. I don't think there's there's actually. I think I might have put FIU six, even after their loss. But either way, you know, those top five, six teams are pretty easy. And once I start getting into that, well, who do I put next spot? I drop down to the bottom. And then I go, oh, okay, yeah. well, who's worse? This week, I put UTSA. Because yeah. there, there is no They more, haven't showed an ounce of life. There's no more excuses with UTSA. You know, they, they had a tough schedule early on. And then they come up with this big win against UTEP that people want to call big, but really we play. They beat us eleven to six. We beat ourselves. Take away those two, yeah. those two defensive touchdowns, eleven to six. Even that, you know, we we beat ourselves. Yeah. But let's just put it like that. So, other than that one game, you know that that anomaly outlier there, they're they're one and seven. I mean, they they haven't beat anybody, and now you're talking about losing North Texas, which we talked about last week. I was gonna, I called that. I called that. Know, they're gonna lose. So that's for me. That's where it was. And, and the, you're right, though. Sit, once you pass those top teams, seven, six, seven through thirteen, whatever it is, it's a jumble, man. You know, I mean, you could put anybody anywhere and make an argument for yep. it, and and make sense. So, exactly. so really, man, I don't know. Charlotte comes in at thirteen, UTSA at twelve. But in my opinion, I had UTSA yeah. down there. North Texas moves up a little bit as we start coming our way back from the bottom to the top. North Texas now one and seven after that win over UTSA, and then UTEP. Number 10, what do you think? Where do you have them? I, I had them 
10 or 11. No, 10. I had him at 10. I had, I had him at 10. And I, I basically had at the bottom from Old Dominion on, except I flipped UTSA, put them last, and I had Charlotte as 12. So, yeah, I mean, UTEP, that's, that's really, I mean, you can't, like you said, you can't really argue anybody in there. But it's going to be interesting to see Old Dominion. If they if they beat UTSA, I don't if you could pull up their schedule real quick, that could be a possible six and six ball team that can slide out of nowhere. I, I, I think they have North Texas left. Anthony's working on that real quick, but I really want to see how they match up against UTSA because I think this is a team that could be that savior where uh, where Conference USA could get at least six bowl teams in. And they haven't played too, too bad. I, you know, they got rolled a couple weeks ago. I can't remember who it was when it was FAU. They actually piled up 500 yards of offense and only scored 12 points. And then they lost to, to Western Kentucky last week. Don't know. Didn't really watch too much of that, but they were able to put up 30 points. You got this UTSA. Team, this team is one and five though in their last that, six games. That that that's that's what's going to see. But the end of their, the rest of their schedule is sort of manageable in a sense outside of Southern Miss. You got UTSA on the road. You play at home against UTEP. You're at Southern Miss. I'm going to chalk that up as a loss. But you come back home against FAU, who's probably the most hit and miss team yeah. in this league next to UTSA. I like Old Dominion's chances against a bowl game. Not where I want to say they're going to come out and win a bowl game or, or come out and win three more games. But if they beat UTSA, I really like their chances, especially depending how they beat UTSA. If they're able to shut down UTSA's offense, which most teams have done outside of North Texas last week, I really like the Monarchs' chances of being that sixth bowl team right behind Rice. So. Yeah, and that's kind of a team to keep your eye on. Other really. than the fact that they just have not been playing well, you know, their two two of their three wins came early on in the year. So, other than that, I mean, I agree with you. The schedule sets up nicely for them. But going back to the rankings, you know, I I I'm kind of surprised. You know, we have FIU at seven, which they're still four and five. They're they're in the hunt for a bowl game. So I I agree with that. I think they're top seven in this league. If you want to put Middle Tennessee seven and them six, or you know, vice yeah. versa, whatever. So I think those are pretty clear. But starting at number eight, FAU jumped from 11 to eight with the win over FIU. Now, I understand that's a pretty big win. FIU's been pretty tough. They've been playing well. But the reality is that's a that's a rivalry game. So anything can happen in those yeah. types of games. You know what I mean? We saw NMSU pretty much take us down to the wire, almost beat us. And we haven't lost to them in, what, eight, nine, ten years. I don't know, whatever it's been now. But, you know, anything can happen in these type of rivalries. So that is a good win for them. But at the same time, I didn't think it was worthy of, of, of bumping them three spots. They're still two and six on the year. I mean, there's a team that is, like you said, as as much hit or miss as anybody else. Old Dominion nine, and then like we mentioned a second ago, UTEP at 10. I actually had UTEP, you call me a homer, but I actually had UTEP up at eight because regardless of, of how bad we are at times, we're still three and five, and, and and that's a lot more than most of the bottom half of the league can say. I think a lot of people took stock in FAU, and, and now I think about it, I actually had UTEP nine, Old Dominion eight, and Florida International 10, North Texas 11, Charlotte 12. That's how I went. I did pump UTEP into the top nine. And, and I agree. I mean, it's a good win because FA, FIU was sort of surging at that point. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, that that's a rivalry game. Anything can happen. You hit it right on the head. That's why I didn't bump FAU into the top 10. I had them right there at number 10. I bumped them into the top 10 conversation, but I just didn't really feel that they are a top 10 team. But that win – was a top 10 win, if that makes any damn sense. But, oh, fake. Look at that. 
Peace.